See if you uh, identify at all with me. I don't know about you, but uh, do you have something inside of you that, that makes life want to be easy? You don't like it hard? Do you know? I remember um, you know, back in high school, uh, conditioning for uh, my senior year of basketball and uh, doing stingers where you ran, you touched the free throw line, you ran back, you touched the baseline, ran to the half court line, touched it, and you, the whole team's racing to do this. You go to the other free throw line, and, and then you keep doing them over and over and over. You're sweating, you're gasping for air, you're dying of thirst. And I, I just would think, man, I just can't wait until I don't have to do this anymore. The day's coming. I mean, back in the 70s, it was like wimpish to actually drink water. I mean, that's the way they did it. They, they thought you shouldn't be drinking water when you're doing all this. So it was really rough. And I would dream of myself. I'd think of myself. I remember standing on the, on the end line thinking, okay, someday I'm going to be in a, in a shirt and a tie in an office somewhere, not sweating or breathing hard. And I can't wait for that day. This is going to be over. And then I got into college. Well, that ended. Then I got to college. And it's like uh, whenever you read a book in college, it's like you always had to have a yellow highlight marker in your hand underlining things for the next quiz, the next test, the next term paper. I got so tired of reading like that with a yellow highlight marker that I said, you know, when I graduate, I'm going to frame this yellow highlight marker and hang it up on the wall as a relic, as a museum piece. I'm never going to use one again because I'm done with that. And then I got married and I started having kids. And since my wife and I were environmentally conscious, conscientious, we thought we're going to go with cloth diapers. And so it was, you know, 11, 12 years of swishing and washing and drying and folding and applying and repeat the cycle all over again. 11 to 12 years of that. I remember my days off were washing diapers. They make great rags, by the way. I still have some of them. They are the best rags. But there was 11, 12 years that I remember thinking, oh, I can't wait. My, my youngest, Molly, she's going to be out of diapers in just a little bit. Yes, life will be so much better. And then our kids grew up, and then we started hitting some rough patches with our kids. And, you know, one, we had, to, we had to go to counseling, and you had to pay the money for counseling, and then sometimes you're in groups. And I'm thinking, is this what's going to happen for the rest of our life? Are we going to be going to counseling? Are we going to be going to groups? Are we going to spend all this extra money on counseling? Is this it? You know, and, and it's like, is this ever going to end? And I was always, in all these things, I'm always looking, when is the... When's the end of this period of hardship? When is this going to be over? You know? Yeah, I mean, for you, do you feel that? Like ever with a job, you're working with coworkers that are hard to get along with and maybe thinking, you're counting the days till you can retire. You know? Or, you know, you've got, you've got kids. And, and, you know, it's tough for, tough for parents today. They've they got to deal with things that I did not have to deal with. And, and the main thing is the phone. So now parents have a new thing on their plate. How do they monitor their son or daughter's cell phone. And you have to develop a plan for that. And it's like, this is so tiring, having to deal with the cell phone. All the you know, restrictions you have to put on that. Or maybe in marriage, you know, you're just in a, in a stormy place, a tough place, and you're wondering, is it going to always be stormy till death us do part? Always? You know, there's something about life, and I think we have to have just... Jesus gave us this wise... <laughs> Warning. He said, you know, life is just going to be hard. It's just going to be difficult. He didn't say it like that exactly. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. 
you, it, you, if you're human on planet Earth, it's going to be difficult. But here's one of the things that's helpful to know. The sooner that you accept and expect the fact that life is going to be hard, it starts to get a little easier because now you expect it to be hard. The other good thing about this is when you know that life is going to be difficult, you begin to develop, to know there's a strategy and there's a purpose to it. It's not just random. It's not just for nothing. But there's a way of dealing with it, and there's something good that com- can come out of it. Now, I want to. All of this comes from a, a little a book in the in the Old Testament where the people of Israel were going through a very dark time. They didn't have a king. They didn't have prophets. They just had at the time what they called judges, and they only came periodically. Sometimes they'd have a judge. Sometimes they wouldn't have a judge. And so the people were really kind of clueless about how to do life. And so the name of the book is actually Judges. And I want to read this little passage. It's Judges chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And it tells us something about our lives today in dealing with hardship. Okay, here we go. Judges 3, verse 1. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites living in the, Le- in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebeth Hamath. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands which he had given their ancestors through Moses. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. All right. So for Israel at this time, war was a way of life. They had enemies all around them. And eventually, because they intermarried with them, they had enemies in their camp. So they had enemies on the outside. They had enemies on the inside. And here's something interesting. God intentionally left those enemies around them to teach them how to fight. Because that generation had not learned how to fight. They had to learn how to fight because they had all kinds of enemies around them. And if they didn't learn how to fight, they were going to get annihilated. You know, they couldn't be pacifists. They couldn't just say, here comes my enemies with a gun. Let's get some daisies and stick it in the barrel of the guns, and we'll all hold hands and sing kumbaya together. It didn't work that way. Their enemies wanted their land. They wanted their food. They wanted their animals. That's the way they survived back then. And so to survive, they had to learn how to fight. Now, why was it so important that the Israelites learn how to fight and survive? Because you think about it. Listen to some of those names of those other nations. Let me see if you recognize any of these. Are any of these people still around? How about the Hittites? How about the Perizzites? Parasites are still around, but not Perizzites. How about the Hivites? How about the Jebusites? You notice that there's a lot of nations that are not around anymore? They might have distant ancestors in the Middle East, but those nations, they're not here. Do you know who is here today? The Israelites. The Israelites are here. Now, why was it important that the Israelites be here while these other nations could disappear? Well, because God had a special purpose on the nation of Israel. 
And their purpose was to be a light to the nations. Think about it. If the Israelites were extinguished, the light to the nations went out. God's plan to save and rescue the world was through this ragtag group of people. And they had to keep going. And to keep going, they had to learn how to fight. Because there was war on their borders and there was war within their borders. You know, it's interesting. If you go to Israel today, in America, as an American, I always thought the national symbol for Israel was the Star of David. It's not. It's a menorah. And outside the Knesset, which is the nation's capital in Israel, is this giant menorah. I think it's a nine-channel menorah. And it's, I don't know, 12, 13 feet tall. It's this huge thing that stands outside that political place to remind Israel, this is why we're here, to be a light to the nations. And so they are today. And one of the reasons is they learned how to fight. So God taught them how to do that. Um, and, And it really, this is reflective of the way our lives are today. You and I have an enemy. His name is the devil or Satan or Lucifer. And he and his demons are out to destroy as many people as possible. For the person who hasn't trusted Christ as Savior, he wants to keep them that way. So that their lives will be diminished and they'll spend eternity with him in hell. The devil's plan is to steal, to kill, and destroy. And one of the things he does for people, and you'll find this all over the Bay Area. This is so true of millions of people in the Bay Area. Literally, millions of people are in a spiritual battle and they don't even know it. And they don't know in what way they're in a spiritual battle. And it's very simple. One of the key ways that Satan is keeping millions of people in the Bay Area in his grasp is by blinding the eyes of their heart. So they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 4.4. The God of this age is doing that right now. You think about how many people you know who have a terrible view of who God is, of who Jesus is, of who the church is. And you wonder, where is that coming from? Why do so many people have this perception that's dark and shadowy and doubtful and skeptical? Well, ultimately it comes from the pit. He had me. I didn't know it. I grew up in the church. And I had, that, I had that veil over my eyes. I had this distorted view of God. And I went to church every Sunday. How's that possible? The enemy works. The God of this age blinds our eyes. And that's one of the first things I remember when I came to Christ as a, as a 13-year-old boy. I was like, I didn't know It was like, I didn't know there was joy in this thing. Why didn't I know that? It was like like the surprise went off. I was was blinded. And so he goes after the unbeliever by keeping them blind to, to rip their lives off. He really is, he's rotten to the core, Satan. He's jealous of God's creation. He does not love any of God's creation. He wants to destroy it. Whether it's nature, most of all, it's you and me. Now, regarding believers, he wants to disarm us and he wants to beat believers down so that they're weak, so that they're ineffective, so they're fruitless, so they're scared, so they're ashamed, 
So they just live under this cloud all of their days. And he uses tactics like unforgiveness, so we become bitter. He used tactics like accusation. In fact, Satan means accuser. That's what he does day and night. He just wants to make you feel bad about yourself. You're rotten. You're unacceptable. You're good for nothing. You'll never be anybody, you know. How could anybody accept you? That's what he does. He lies about us. The Apostle Paul said, our battle is not against flesh and blood. That's good to remember when you go to work tomorrow and you're struggling with coworkers. Remember, ultimately, your battle is not against the coworker. It's against, it's against other things that are working in that office. He says, but our battle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. So we have an enemy. Like the ancient Israelites, there's no escaping war. Only our war is spiritual warfare. And we have an enemy inside too. And it's, this is from Hebrews 12, 4. It says, it says uh, inside the camp that in your struggles against sin. So we have the struggle with sin within us. We have the struggle with the spiritual forces around us. So we are in a battle. So one of the things that we need to learn to do is how to fight. How to be trained for battle. And if you're thinking today, uh, you know what? I'm not really into war. I'm a lover. I'm not a fighter. Uh, Good. That's better that you be a lover. But you also have to be a fighter. You have to learn how to battle because you are in a battle. You don't have a choice. Um, And so how do we do this? Well, well, I've never done this. How do you learn how to fight spiritually? That just sounds weird. You know, I mean, you know, mixed martial arts, you know, in those guys, there's one guy over there, there's me, and it's me against him, and you just know that's who I'm fighting. Well, spiritual, but you can't see anything. So how does this work? So let me, let me give you some tips. This is not the, the final full manual on training tips for um, war, but let me give you some things that are helpful, and you can write these down. On your notes. First of all is this. Just recognize the fight. Recognize the battle. Okay? Like Paul said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the authorities, powers of this dark world. There will never be a time in your life, this side of eternity, which does not demand your vigilance, your training, your strategy for dealing with the devil and your own temptations. It does not mean we should be paranoid. But it does mean we should be aware. You have an enemy that no matter how how nice and sweet you are, he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy churches. And he is prowling on the perimeter of your life. Peter described him as a lion prowling around seeking to devour those that he can. He's looking to devour people. And just your awareness of this dark reality will make the battle easier. It will make it less surprising. So I want you to just turn to a neighbor and say, I'm in a battle. Say that to somebody. You're in a battle. Okay. (laughs) You're in a battle. Explain some of the things that's gone on in your life that maybe you thought, why did that happen? Why is this going on? It just helps to know, oh, that's why this is going on. Because I am in a battle. I don't have to go attack a person. Because of this thing. There's somebody else at work here. Second thing is this. Be trainable. Are you teachable? Can you be trained? Read this with me. But solid food is for the mature. Who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. 
that scripture reference is, I don't think it's the Ephesians. Um, and right now, I'm like, I'm, I think it's supposed to be Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. Okay, Hebrews 5, 14. Um, so, you know, we, we just need to admit to ourselves, I don't know it all. I need to learn how to deal with oppositional forces in my life. Lord, train me to distinguish between good and evil. Anticipate hardship and discomfort, resistance and pushback. And let the struggle make you stronger. You know, what a lot of people uh, really appreciated about Kobe Bryant, the great basketball player of the Lakers who recently died, was that he was a guy who embraced the pain and the struggle of training for basketball to make himself the best basketball player he could possibly be. He just pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. He'd do things that nobody else was doing to train himself to be top of the line in the NBA. Which in his time, after Michael Jordan retired, he was. He was the top player in the NBA. But the key was not that he just showed up on the court. The key was his training. The weight training that he did. All the shots that he took. The time that he spent in the gym. Getting there early when nobody else was there. So... What we have to learn to do is not fall in love with ease and with pleasure. Like, you know, that's been a part of my life that's been there. I just, oh, could it just be easier? You know, not to fall in love with that, where everything has to feel good. Because that's going to disarm you for the battle that you're in. You know, volunteer for the difficult. When you see some things, you say, that, well, that's hard. Well, go ahead and say, you know what, I'm going to go for it. Let's say, you know, one of the keys to spiritual battle is praying. Well, and then you think, well, I have a hard time praying. And a lot of people do. Okay, well, it's hard, but you've got you to submit yourself to that and just start to learn to pray. Um, you know, a uh, simple prayer. God, would you uh, guard my thoughts today? I've been having a hard time with the way I'm thinking about myself and thinking about others. So would you just cover my mind today? Jesus actually taught us one of the keys in the, in the Lord's Prayer was deliver us from evil. So, you know, I'm a little scared today. I'm a little scared about this coronavirus so god deliver me from evil today uh psalm 91 lord put a shelter over me to deal with the pestilence and the plague that's going around the world you know kind of bubble you know put a bubble over me just just guard me help me not to live in in paranoia and fear learn learn to pray that way Uh, you're going into a job interview god i'm really nervous i'm so uptight Give me your peace today. Help me to be me as I go into that. Help me to remember things. Because you know when you get nervous and uptight, your brain doesn't work very well. So what you need for your brain to work well is start to relax. And who's going to help you relax? God, give me peace that I can relax. Just learn how to do that hard thing like prayer. Or do something hard every day. Maybe your struggle is with forgiving people. And learning, God, give me grace. And I'm a grudge holder. I I struggle with prayer and, and with forgiving. I just naturally want to get revenge on people. And that's been with me since I was a boy. And so I've had to learn, no, that's my, that's my default position? Is vengeance? No. No, I am not going to submit to that. I'm going to give forgiveness. Somebody offends me. Somebody hurts me. I have some perceived slight in my life. I offer forgiveness to that person. I pray blessing on that person. I am not going to live in bitterness and unforgiveness. And Lord, if there's people from my past that, I, that, I've got, that I still have something against, reveal them to me so I can do that and forgive them. Do the hard work. And you say, well, I prayed that prayer once and I didn't feel forgiveness for them. Do it again and again and again 
and again and again. I had a guy in my life that, no kidding, it took me months and months to forgive him. And I always knew when I needed to pray that prayer, God, give me grace to forgive this man. And I pray your blessing over his life. Because when I would go running in the morning, I would kind of see his face on a target. And I want to throw darts at it. And I go, well, that's my cue for praying. And, And I was wondering at the time, shouldn't this happen a little faster? And it was like, well, if it doesn't, what am I else am I going to do? I'll just keep going for it. Apparently, I don't have the grace yet to forgive this man, and I need more grace, so God, give it to me. Until, and, and by the way, he gave it to me, and it's over. And we're friends. And it is one of the great victories of my life. It's beautiful when you walk in this. Do the hard thing. Um, you know, when you have those thoughts that are going through your head that are, are lies and accusations and condemnation, God says the way we need to think is we need to think about what's lovely and excellent and praiseworthy and admirable. So God, how do you control your thought life? That's a tough one. Really tough. But you can. God will help you with that. You ever think of uh, why so many things that are pleasant are not good for you? Do you ever get, you like, I love fat, sugary food. Come on, Lay's potato chips and donuts. Why can't they be healthy? Why can't they be as good for you as broccoli? Why does it have to be like that? You know? Why is it that uh, sleeping all day is not good for you? Or watching YouTube videos for five hours straight isn't good for you? And why are the things that are hard so often are good for you? Like a vegetable diet? Like exercise? Like studying? It, It just is that way, isn't it? Almost in every level of our lives we find that dynamic in place. But here's what I believe, that once, once you just accept the fact, you know, some things are going to be hard, and once you start pushing, leaning into those hard things, that you start to get used to it, and it gets easier, and the hard thing that's good for you, you'll start doing because it's not so hard anymore. I mean, I think if you could talk to vegetarians, some vegetarians would tell you, what do you mean vegetables don't taste good? I love my vegetable diet. They've learned to like vegetables. And some people, like myself, what do you mean running is hard? And I hear people say, oh, running is horrible. Why can anybody do that? But you know what? There is such a thing as a runner's high, uh, an endorphin rush. It really does happen. It happens for some people. You know, I experienced, but it wasn't like that at first, and I kind of learned. So just, you know, be a trainable person. Number three, study God's word. If you're going to go into spiritual warfare, you've got to be in the word of God. There's no way around this. I want you to see this passage. This is the classic passage. There we go. This is the classic passage on spiritual warfare in the New Testament. So let's read this together. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So here's all these different pieces of equipment for for a soldier. Three of them have to do with the mind, with the thoughts, with truth. The belt of truth. The belt's going to keep all the other pieces of equipment together, but it's truth. Then there's the helmet of salvation to guard our minds and the way that we think. And there's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the truth. And so this, this, our spiritual battle mainly is a battle for the truth. So, we all have at one time followed the thoughts of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's in Ephesians chapter 2. 
We have to replace those old thought patterns with God's truth. The ways that we think naturally are not God's way of thinking, and they will get us into all kinds of messes. So that way of thinking has to be altered. The darkness has to be replaced with the light. How do you do that? And this is especially hard for people who don't like to read. And they don't learn this way. So how can we get the truth in us? Because that's going to be a barrier for some of you. Well, let me recommend doing what the first Christians did, what the old ancient peoples used to do. They listened. You know, they didn't have a lot of writing implements. They didn't have books. How did those stories about creation, about the... Ten- the Moses and the Ten Commandments and the splitting of the Red Sea and David's accomplishment. How did that get told? Passed on. It got passed on by being told. And they would sit around and, at meals and they would tell stories. And they'd pass it on to their kids. They didn't just sit down with a book and read it. And so listening to the Word is a very good thing to do. And you have, we have the technology to do that today. You know, MP3 player, listen to it on your phone. Just get something, listen to it. You can listen to it on the radio. Um, read it, of course. Discuss it in groups. Get, get with a group of people and discuss the word. Um, listen to podcasts. Um, memorize it. Regularly, daily, digest God's word. And that will be one of the most helpful things and strategic things you can do in your spiritual battle. If you're not doing this, I'd urge you to work on developing a habit and do it in a way. How can you develop that habit? What will will cause you to continue this long term? If I told you, okay, everybody, we need to get into the word God's truth an hour a day, every day for the rest of your life. And you go, I don't think so. I can't do that. Well, I would say we'll start small. Read a paragraph. Go in one book. Hey, do, do like me. You know what, what really got me? I, I went into 1 John, five chapters, and I read one chapter a day. And then I went through it. I went through all five chapters, and I said, well, that took five days. I'm going to go back and do it again. I went back and did it again. And I went back and did it again. And the fourth time I went back, I think I'm going to underline this time. And under, underline what I want to memorize. And then the fifth time... I'm going to memorize what I underlined. And the sixth time, I'm going to memorize what I underlined. The seventh time, I'm going to memorize what I underlined. But that was just me. But it wasn't a lot. You know, a chapter, it might take you a few minutes to read it. And then you just keep doing it. Don't think, I have to read this whole thing? No way. That's like reading Webster's Dictionary. Just take a little bit. And then see what happens in your heart. Do you have a desire for it? Do you start to understand it? Because I could tell you by the fourth time I got into, I, I went through First John chapter 1, the fourth time, God went zing, and he nailed me. And he changed my life with First John 1, 7. And it changed my relationships with my family. It changed the way that I, I wasn't a preacher. I was in college, but it changed the way I talked to people and preach and everything. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus the Son purifies us from every sin. If we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another. And I didn't have fellowship with people. I was closed off. I was a closed book. And God took that like a hammer, and I was a walnut. He just cracked that walnut open and said, boom, let's get to the meat of your life with other people. You need to stop hiding. But it was the word that did that for me. So get in it. Stay in it. If you just need one verse, do one verse. 
But do something. It's, it's really critical. Now, number four is this. Uh, seek out a trainer. Okay? You can actually look for somebody to help train you. Uh, let's read this together. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. There's five different leaders right there. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They're all doing the equipping job. In our lives, there's going to be multiple people that we need to help train us to do life. You know, thankfully, mom and dad don't have to do it all. And the pastor doesn't have to do it all. There's multiple people that we need to look to who are going to pour into our lives and drip into us and say, I'm going to learn from them, I'm going to learn from him, I'm going to learn from her. And you need to take that in. So, uh, look for those people. You know, for myself, I've looked to several people. They haven't been personal friends. I got them through books. But like, I'm growing up, I'm a young man, I'm in college, I'm thinking, how did, you know, what does it mean to be a man? And I got a book from a guy named James Dobson called Straight Talk to Men and Their Wives. And I thought, okay, this is about manhood. I'm going to read about manhood from James Dobson. And it helped. And when I needed to read about marriage and parenting, I read James Dobson. When I needed to read about money, how do you do money? Because nobody really talks about money too much. I know my parents give, but nobody talks about how to manage your money. So I went to, oh, Larry Burkett. So, okay, Larry Burkett taught me how to kind of handle my money. I started with him, and I kept going. And then I want to know the deeper spiritual things of life. Who can teach me those things? A.W. Tozier. I immersed myself in A.W. Tozier. He's a great preacher from the mid-20th century. And then it's like, well, as a Christian, how do you do politics? How does a believer get involved in the political realm in the right kind of way? And I found a guy named Charles Colson. He was involved in the Watergate scandal with Richard Nixon. He was a power-hungry guy, ex-Marine, at the top of power in the world, who fell and crashed because he was found guilty in Watergate, and he was thrown in prison. Before he went to prison, he came to Christ. And he got into that prison, and God just, Christ just started transforming him. And, and then, he, because he has so much insight and he's so brilliant, he was able to help me understand, ah, this is how you relate as a Christian in politics. And so it went, you know, manhood and how do you, how do you grow spiritually? Uh, Richard Foster, Dallas Willard. I mean, all these different guys were my trainers. So think about who you could have. Could you ask somebody? It could be a book or could you ask somebody, hey, this person seems to be especially knowledgeable about this one thing. I'd like to have coffee with them. And just could you talk to me about that? I have a, um, this uh, communist, she was a woman who was raised in communist China, um, early in the fall, asked if I would be her mentor. And uh, she was raised there, she came to America, she got her doctorate in chemistry, she came to Christ, now she's married to a non-believer who's also from communist China, she has kids, and she heard me speak in a workshop, and she says, I would like you to be my mentor. And we FaceTime once a month, and she asked me questions about how do I relate to a non-believing husband? How do I raise my kids? How do I deal with the shame that's in my culture? Because I was raised, one of the reasons I was such a high-driving woman, to go and get my doctorate in chemistry, is because that's what you had to do to please your parents. You know, in, in Asian culture, a lot of times, there is that very deep thing of shame, you know. Um, and so we talk about those kinds of things. I myself, it's like, you know, where, I, where do I lack? I kind of lack in leadership. So I found a pastor in town, and I thought, hey, would you meet with me for coffee and just talk to me about leadership? So we need to ask those people around you, 
you know, could you train me? Could you teach me? Think about that. And then the, the last thing I would say for this morning is actually use your training. As you're getting trained, use it. Exercise it, okay? Let's read this together. So Christ himself, wait, I think. Okay, go to the next one, number five. There we go. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for, for training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, so to be equipped, trained, ready to jump in. Um, I, I told this a while ago, but um, several uh, summers ago, my wife and I were camping. And when you're, you're camping, you have lots of free time. And we were talking about, uh, I just thought, I just random thought, what if I fell off a boat in the middle of the ocean? What would I do to survive? And so I, we were talking, I said, you know what I'd do? I would, I would relax. I would try to enjoy myself and not expend my energy. And I'd find which way the current is going, and that's the way I'd swim. Just, that was just one of those random conversations. No kidding, about a month later, our family's on a sailboat in Lake Michigan. And, and there weren't enough life jackets for everybody, so I didn't have one. And I was trying to help my son-in-law secure the sail, which was just flying like this, back and forth. It wasn't hatched, latched down. And all of a sudden, the wind caught the, the sail, and the boat went up like this, and I didn't have anything to hold on to. <laughs> I had to jump off the back of the boat in Lake Michigan. And the boat just took off. Pew, there it goes. And I came up out of the water. First thing I checked, is my hat on? Do I still have my sunglasses? Okay, good, I really like my hat. And I'm going, and I come up, and I go, okay. And I, really, I thought, you know, it's really a, a pretty day right now. It's sunny outside, and the temperature in the water is great. And I didn't get any exercise today, so I'm going to get it now. And, um, and I thought, where's the current going? It's going that way. It's going to the, about a mile away. Because I didn't, I didn't have confidence the boat was coming back. I thought the boat was gone. And so I, I had a bad shoulder, so I had to get on my side and kind of scissor kick and pull with one arm. And I'm going, it's going to be a mile swim. But my training in my head at, when I was camping got me ready for that moment when I actually went in the water. It worked. The training. It was beautiful. I thought, this is great. So train, think about this. Think about for your life. What if for your life, you know, that you, you were not living uh, with thoughts that were just self-rejecting and self-accusatory? What if that wasn't a part of your life? What if you just had a general sense of well-being? Then no matter what happened, I mean, maybe I'm just being ignorant or naive, but I'm just going to admit, I'm really not thinking about the coronavirus. I'm just not. I just feel whatever happens, I'm good. And so, you know, I, I, need, to be, I need to be wise about this, but um, what if you lived in such a way that in your home there was peace? There wasn't friction. There wasn't sparks flying, and there wasn't, in your, in your marriage, and with your kids. You know, what if there was nobody in your past that you held a grudge against? You really, you really had no, no um, animosity toward anybody. I mean, it's a pretty amazing thing what's possible when you are trained for spiritual battle. And you're able to walk through life confident and clear-headed and hopeful 
and peaceful. And that's really what, what God's calling us to. I love, you know, I've been reading uh, actually somebody that you know, he's preached here, Barney Cargyle. right now is uh, quarantined on that cruise ship in San Francisco. He's on that ship. And he's talking about in, in uh, some of his blogs what it's like, his experience. And he says, you know, people, he says, I think the, he, the, the media is kind of ramping this up to get everybody scared. But he says, you know what? People here on the boat, they're scared. The, the workers, the crew are scared and, and fellow passengers. And he says, I've had opportunities just to talk about peace that God has given me. He says, I've been interviewed on TV. I've been interviewed on the radio. And I'm giving witness to what God is doing in my life. And that, that's, that's cool. He's safe. He's secure. So what I want to do, you know, I, I want to encourage you, you know, understand you're in a war. You're in a battle. And be taught. Get into the truth. If you need somebody to train you, look for somebody to do that and then exercise it. And, and this morning I want to pray over you, you know, God's protection. That you would feel, you know, it's well with my soul. It is well. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that uh, there's a lot of things uh, oh, strutting around like they're so intimidating. We've got this creature named Satan who prowls around in the periphery of our lives trying to destroy us and make us miserable. And there are demons and there's sin and there's all that garbage. But God, there's you. And there's nobody even close to you. You are the uncreated creator. You've existed before all things. You called all things into being. That you in you is life. And you will never run out of life. There's nothing that can threaten you. And when we're in your family, ultimately there's nothing that can threaten and destroy us. So God, we just come to you this morning. And I ask over your people that you'd be our refuge. That you'd save us from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. That you'd cover us with your feathers and under your wings that we would find refuge. That God, we would not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. Even if a thousand fall at our side or 10,000 at our right hand, that that this destruction will not come near us. And God, that you'll make us strong for the battle. Awake, alert, confident, hopeful, joyful, productive, fruitful. Help us to... Be your people and help us have the confidence that you're out there, that you're real, that you're watching over us, that we are not alone. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us. You are our protector and you are our provider. I pray you drive the worry and the anxiety out in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, good.